Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. For weeks, we've been raising legitimate questions on behalf of parents about this government's clawback of autism funding. We've heard a Minister of the Crown call the comments sanctimonious. And just today, we heard dismissive comments from the member, by the member from Chilliwack, Kent. Well, you know what, Mr. Speaker? A constituent of that mem member, Donna Hemmings, listened to her words today. This is what she had to say to her MLA, and I quote, We're not scared of change. What we're scared of is how the NDP government decided for us not to be part of the decision-making process for our children. How rude for my MLA to say that people are capitalizing on fears. This is just another proof that they are not listening. The minister created the fear by not consulting, by not listening to us. My MLA's comment is rude and dismissive to what are the justifiable fears of parents." End quote. Parents across this province are worried, they are frustrated, and they are angry. And it has everything to do with a unilateral decision by this minister and this government. Not the words of the opposition. This is squarely on the shoulder of this minister and government. So today, on behalf of parents across British Columbia, 17,000 of whom who have signed a petition, will the minister and her colleagues stop being dismissive of the concerns that parents are expressing? Will she end the clawback and do the right thing today? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. It is really important to be listening to families and to be hearing of the uh, expertise and experiences of families caring for children and youth with neurodiverse needs, including families with children with a uh, diagnosis of autism. Honourable Speaker, we started this work nearly three years ago now, and we're continuing this transition through to 2025. We are holding information sessions starting this very month, and those conversations will continue, and we'll continue to hear from families and Indigenous communities and service providers to inform this operationalization of this new framework in the best interests of children, youth, and families. Yep. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Well, thank you very much, and, and the Minister. To the Minister again, she missed a step. The information sessions, and the minister knows this, are not about consulting. They're about talking about implementation. Parents are asking and begging this minister to back up, not to talk about implementation. Well, if the minister stubbornly refuses to listen, every single one of her silent colleagues should start speaking up for their constituents. We know that MLAs on that side of the House have had dozens, if not hundreds, of letters from parents. In fact, will the MLA for Richmond-Queensborough listen to his constituent, Mike Sachs, who says, and I quote, I question the need to destroy a service that has helped thousands of families over 20 years and replace it with government-run hubs. I call on the minister to immediately stop this plan, end quote. 
Will the MLA for Vancouver Fraserview listen to a constituent, Sabrina Sandu, who is heartbroken and scared for her son, Dominic? She writes, and I quote, we need you to care. We need you to put a stop to this. Please don't turn our world upside down, end quote. Not my words, not the words of the opposition, the words of desperate, frightened, and upset parents who are writing to their MLAs who were sent to Victoria to be their voice in this legislature. And what do they hear? Nothing. So, will someone, anyone in the government, please listen to parents? They are asking for the minister to back up, to consult like she should have done in the first place, and most importantly, end the clawback today. Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. We will continue to listen to families and we will continue to listen to service providers and Indigenous communities as well. As we move forward now, starting at the end of this month, we're engaging in those meaningful conversations and those, that dialogue and those conversations will continue in the weeks and months ahead, Honourable Speaker. We're delivering on early implementation areas so that we can evaluate uh, the uh, process of uh, delivering on the new framework. And I absolutely understand that some families have concerns and have anxieties and we will be working with them. We have the time to be able to create really positive transitions with families, putting their child and youth at the center, working in partnership with parents, understanding uh, that for a long time, they've had to uh, create that package of services for their children and youth. More children and youth will receive services under the new framework. Children and youth who get left behind today. Satvir Chima, Executive Director of Progressive Intercultural Community Services Society says, it can be extremely challenging for parents to have to shop around for the best supports for their child, especially for families for whom English may not be their first language. Services that are culturally safe, inclusive, easy to navigate and offered in one convenient location are critical to ensuring all children and youth with support needs are getting the help they need. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We continue to ask questions and we continue to get the same platitudes back from this government and this minister. Last week, this minister falsely claimed that families, and again just now, with English as a second language, support this clawback. Rosa Gonzalez responds that she is a service provider to over 90 families, most of whom are Filipinos and immigrants, and that she is acutely aware of the specific needs of underrepresented groups. She says, and I quote, to believe that immigrant families are unable to select or manage their service teams is naive and culturally insensitive. To take away this individualized funding and the family's freedom to choose will effectively disenfranchise these families, end quote. Mr. Speaker, will the minister respect parents' choice and stop this claw back? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, I, I do understand that there are many parents out there who are concerned and who are worried. There are families 
uh, for whom the, they have been able eventually, after struggling, we've heard for a long time, been able to create a package of services. But for many other children with support needs, they have been left behind and it hasn't been possible for them to receive the services that they need. Under the new framework, children with autism will still receive the services that they need. Not only that, children whose parents are concerned that they might have an autism diagnosis will receive services earlier and while they might be waiting for a diagnosis. And, Honourable Speaker, in addition to that, children and youth where there are other concerns, brain injury, for example, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, Down syndrome, will also be able to access services that meet their needs. And, Honourable Speaker, what that means is that they will be able to thrive they will meet their developmental milestones. They will fulfill their potential. Member for West Vancouver Capilano, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Alicia Mohammed Pal is a constituent of the MLA for Vancouver Hastings. She is the mother of Layla, an extraordinary little girl who wears braces on both of her legs and was recently diagnosed with autism. Alicia has past experience with the hub model, but with individualized funding, she is now working to set up a team to help Lila thrive. Alicia writes, quote, we are her parents and we know best how to do that. The thought of these choices being taken away is just not acceptable, end quote. So Mr. Speaker, we will ask again, Will the minister listen to Alicia and countless other families and end this clawback? Minister. Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And I absolutely um, understand that parents are the experts in the lives of their children, the needs of their children. And I'm absolutely passionately committed to working in partnership with parents. Having worked in the field for over 30 years, I know that that is the best model. And in the new framework, that is the commitment that we are making is to work in partnership with parents. We're putting children and youth at the center. There's a multidisciplinary team of uh, professionals and workers who will work with that family to make sure that each child and youth, based on their unique and individual needs, will receive the services that they need for them to be able to fulfill their potential. As Dr. Chow, president of Doctors of BC, has said, I am very pleased to see the provincial government move towards a needs-based system of supports for these children and their families. As a specialist in child and youth mental health, I know that neurodiversity and disability does not always fit nicely into diagnostic categories. I look forward to the positive impact for everyone involved in helping our children grow and succeed. Member for Sandwich North End Island. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. For weeks, we've heard the Minister of Children and Families repeat the same rhetoric, and unfortunately, it's failed to provide the comfort that she's been hoping that it would. Mr. Speaker, Darwin Dinesh uh, had Down syndrome, autism, and other conditions. For his entire life, like thousands of children in British Columbia, he fought for basic access to services, which he never got including when he was dying last year. His father, Dr. Roshan Dinesh, who is well known to this government as a human rights advocate, made it clear in an editorial this weekend that changes proposed by the Minister of Children and Families will make things worse, not just for kids like Darwin, but for all children with disabilities. 
Mr. Denash, Dr. Denash said these changes will lead to each child not being treated as an individual with integrity and dignity. He warned the changes are unscientific and will lead to a system that is even more discriminatory. My question, Mr. Speaker, is through you to the Minister of Children and Family Development. Will the minister listen to people who have lived experience and professional experience like Dr. Dinesh and put their plans to change the system on hold so the proper engagement with parents, experts and organizations can take place? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and, uh, and I thank the family for sharing their story with us. Um, what a, a difficult story to tell. And I thank all the families who have shared their stories with us on our journey as we try and make improvements to services for children and youth with support needs here in British Columbia. I have been hearing concerns from families, and we will continue to listen to families. In fact, uh, listening to feedback from families has been at the heart of the work that we've been doing in this ministry. For example, during the pandemic, we heard from families um, who told us that they wanted to be able to use the respite funding that they get in a more flexible way so that they would actually feel better supported in taking care of their children and youth. Honourable Speaker, we implemented that as an emergency measure and we have now turned that into a permanent measure as well because we were listening to uh, families and what they need from us as a government. We are continuing to listen to families. We've uh, started to... Um, register people for information sessions that will be starting later on this month. We will continue those conversations and we will continue to show families where and how we're listening to them as we continue to develop these services. Member for Stanish North End Island, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, the only people that are nodding to this rhetoric are the people that are sitting in this room. For weeks, we have heard story after story of British Columbians coming and imploring this government to stop, to take a step back and to start a process at the beginning, not in the middle. Mr. Speaker, over the last few weeks, Dr. Dinesh has spoken with senior representatives of this government about how the proposed changes will impact children like Dr. Dinesh's late son, Darwin, those with the most complex special needs. From the response of those representatives, it was apparent that they did not know what the impact of these changes would be on the children. Government representatives suggested that this is why they will be running a pilot project to figure these impacts out. This is a shocking admission, Mr. Speaker. These are children's lives, and these uninformed decisions will impact thousands of families in British Columbia. Is this government really going to experiment on these already vulnerable children and families? Pardon? Member will continue. Mr. Speaker, through you to the Minister of Children and Family Development, does the minister really think that it's sound public policy to subject children and families in crisis to a pilot project to see if their government plans may work? Does the minister think that her approach is in the best interest of children and families. Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I can absolutely assure everybody in this House that nothing is more important to us and our government than the children and youth of British Columbia. 
We are continuing our work, making sure that we put children and youth at the centre, and we will continue to listen to the experiences of families as we go through this process, and we will continue to adapt the process as well. Honourable Speaker, I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of the staff in my ministry who also put the welfare and the well-being and the health and happiness of the children of this province as the number one priority in their daily work. Thank you. Members. Member for Fraser Nicola. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The NDP have decided they know better than parents and have caused chaos and confusion in the entire disability sector. Autism BC says, and I quote, the government has failed to provide any information about how the sweeping changes impact many other programs in the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Health, and the Ministry of Social Development and Poverty Reduction. The fear and stress this is causing families is unacceptable." End quote. The clawback impacts eligibility criteria for multiple services in the Ministry of Social Development, including the Personalized Support Initiative, Individualized Funding, and Community Living BC. Will the Minister of Social Development give a clear answer to parents on how the clawback and lack of assessments will affect those who need CLBC supports. Start children and Family Development. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Um, and I thank the member for the question. We are putting children and youth at the heart of the, of the framework that we're developing, um, Honourable Speaker. The new model does not require a diagnosis for service for children and youth, Honourable Speaker, but that doesn't mean that a diagnosis Members. is not... Members. Continue. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, so having a diagnosis can also be a helpful tool for children and youth and for individuals to create a service package. Um, and so we're not saying that it's not helpful for children and youth to have a diagnosis. And so families will make their decisions about what's helpful for people in their family. And so we will be working the Ministry of Children and Family Development will be working closely with other ministries to make sure that there are seamless wraparound services for children and youth uh, wherever they are. As we know, you know, they live multifaceted lives and we'll make sure that uh, we work in partnership across government to support them. Member for Fraser Nicholas Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, well, without sounding sanctimonious, the parents and advocates don't believe the government. On a whim, the system is being thrown out without consultation or detailed answers. And this has added stress and fear for parents and the entire community. As Autism BC President Kay Benez says, and I quote, there is no faith that this new framework is actually going to work because there has been no transparency and no consultation. And we don't see it happening now. End quote. Will the Minister of Social Development stop the clawback and listen to parents and advocates? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, 
It is really important to make sure that we listen to families and also other um, people with experience and with experts as well. So for nearly three years now, we've been engaging with and listening to families and uh, service providers, people with expertise, indigenous communities as well. And over the next few years, as we continue this work, Honourable Speaker, we'll continue those conversations. Indeed, just last week... Members, let's hear the... Okay. Member for Nichaco Lakes. Mr. Speaker, we've heard all kinds of problems about consultation and the lack thereof, and the reviews are in. In the forest sector, there is agreement. The NDP's lack of consultation is absolutely astounding. First Nations are saying no. You can't have a decision in 30 days. Chief Willie Sellers says, and I quote, what is the expectation out of the government that we're going to turn this thing around in 30 days and actually give them a meaningful response, end quote. The Union of BC Indian Chiefs refers to it as a political souffle. Can the minister explain why she chose not to properly consult with the First Nations and other communities on such an important issue? Minister of Forest Lands. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I really appreciate the question because this is such a critical issue for the people of BC, and so I'm, I'm really happy to get a question and question period about it. And I'd like to point out to the member that, in fact, there has been considerable consultation for since 2017 when we first formed government because we recognized that there was outdated policies in this province that needed to change. We needed to ensure that we were that the forests of this province were being shared with the First Nations people, and that what I have been hearing critically important very critically important is that we have to consult with the rights and title holders. I hear that every time we reach out to Indigenous nations. Members, and they, let's hear the answer, please. Members. And they are saying to us that we need to consult with the rights and title holders. We have let nations know that we are looking at a 30-day uh, time period to hear whether they want to engage further, to hear whether they want to defer or not. And it's really interesting that the members laugh at that because we think this is a critically important. It's critically important because we have to find out if they do want to defer, if in fact they feel that there has been enough deferral on their, on their traditional territory, if they want to talk about further harvesting, other deferrals, conservation. We want to have those conversations and it is critically important and we will continue to do that. Member for Nichakolik, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So let me just get it right in terms of what the minister said. They spent four years out apparently doing some sort of consultation. Then they come out with an announcement and blindside everybody. How is that consultation? I just I have a trouble understanding what the minister is trying to say. First Nations have been very clear. And what they've been told is they have 30 days to decide whether these deferrals go, together, go forward or not. How is that proper consultation? That's not proper engagement. But you know what? It's not just First Nations that were blindsided, Mr. Speaker. The government's announcement, of course, uh, around this also took the steelworkers by surprise. And Jeff Bromley from the United Steelworkers says the NDP announcement was, and I quote, a gut punch, end quote. The biggest punch 
is quite frankly the complete uncertainty this has now created for 18,000 forest workers whose jobs are now at risk, according to Kofi. They have no idea what the government of the future holds, and quite frankly, the government has not put any plans in place to support them through any kind of transition that may, may or may not be implemented. First Nations are unhappy, labour leaders are unhappy, forest communities aren't happy. Will the minister stop this brutally political process and actually listen to those directly impacted? Minister of Forests. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and, and I thank again, again, I want to thank the member for the question because I, I do want to clarify that there have been discussions. I mean, we introduced our intentions paper this spring, and, and before we introduced the intentions paper, we had those consultations. And we also introduced last fall, the government introduced the strategic review on old growth, and everyone we talked to agreed with the recommendations in, in the old growth strategic review. Everybody agreed with them. We talked to industry, we talked to labour, we talked to communities, and everybody agreed. Order. Everybody agreed that we needed to move forward with new legislation. We needed to move forward with deferrals of old growth because we needed to recognize that it's not either or. It's not about jobs or the environment. It's not about the economy or the environment. It's about doing both, and it's something we can do. But ask your own colleague about that. I mean, the member for uh, up in uh, Prince George uh, Mackenzie said that something should have been done decades ago. Member said that members, let's listen to the minister. <laughs> minister will continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, the, the member also said that if something had been done years ago, we wouldn't be in the position we're in now. And I am not. As a minister responsible, I will not have people talking about me 10 years from now saying she should have done something and didn't do anything. Member for Caribou-Chilcotin. Member for Caribou-Chilcotin. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, the one thing that has happened on this side is that we do share differences of opinion, unlike the side over there that has not put anybody up to dis debate the FOIPA bill or anything else. We definitely <clears throat> not only not only not only has there members members asking question. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Listen Not only has there been surprise, but there's been confusion as well. The minister might want to focus on what she's doing to the thousands of families who count on the forest sector. The people on the front line estimate 18,000 jobs could be lost. We have the Minister of Forest saying it won't be that bad. There will be just 4,500 jobs lost. And the Minister of Jobs has said and I quote, it's impossible to guess the exact number. I think it's a little premature to throw numbers out, end quote. Confusing to say the least. 
Will the Forest Minister table a socio-economic study today or admit that she was just throwing numbers out? Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the member for this question because, yeah, I'd like to throw a number out. I'd like to throw the number out of 30,000 people. 30,000. people who lost their jobs under the former government. I know the member wasn't there, so I'll tell him what happened. 30,000 people lost their jobs. 30,000 people got absolutely members. no support from members opposite. 30,000 people and community. Members, making off all you'd like, but I'll tell you what Members, happened. come to you order. Thirty thousand people lost Minister. their jobs. Absolutely no support. Members will come to order now. The question was asked. Minister has to give the has to give the answer. Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. There was absolutely no support for communities. We are doing things differently because we respect workers. We respect communities. We understand. I know what it was like to go through living in a forest-dependent community under that jurisdiction. I know how many people lost their jobs with no support. I know there was no support to members, communities. We will have supports in place. Members we will have come supports to order in now. place, not only for workers, but for communities and for their families. We will have those supports in place because we are committed to this. Member has supplemental. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. You know, under the BC Jobs Plan, the forest sector saw the addition of 10,000 jobs. All. Let's listen to the question, please. Order. Let's listen to the question. All of which, Mr. Speaker, have been lost under the NDP, and the minister seems to be just warming up. More than 18,000 people are being threatened by the government's decision, and the minister hasn't even bothered to do a socio-economic study. The forest minister claimed there would be 4,500 jobs lost. The jobs minister contradicted her, saying, quote, the numbers are premature and it's jumping the gun, end quote. What this government has done is caused confusion, it's caused chaos and anxiety right across the province, Mr. Speaker. The minister has let down First Nations, labour leaders and forest communities and created a patchwork plan that raises more questions than answers. Will the minister today table a socio-economic study that outlines what workers can expect. Minister, he, she hasn't even started yet, guys. <laughs> All right, let's listen to the minister. Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, it's just so, uh, such hypocrisy. I mean, jobs were shipped away. 30,000 jobs were lost. Dozens of mills were closed. And at the same time, there was no support. 
So, and, and you know, don't take it from me, take it from your own colleague, you know, from Prince George Mackenzie, who says Members. that's something that should have been looked at decades ago to ensure the forest industry was more sustainable. You know, we have a plan. Members. We have a plan. Our plan is a vision for forest care. Our plan, our plan is to protect our oldest and most ancient forests. Our plan is that Indigenous people are full partners in sustainable forest management. And our plan is that workers and communities are supported with secure, innovative forestry jobs for generations to come. We implement all 14 recommendations of the Old Growth Strategic Review. We are going to do detailed socioeconomic analysis. You let me finish. Members, let her when finish. When referrals are made, we will do those detailed those detailed Members. Those detailed socioeconomic analysis of indi individual communities. We have done an overview of the entire province. We, are not, we will not be seeing deferrals over the entire province. Order. I'm trying to answer the question. So, I'm trying, I'm trying. Members will come to order now. And Minister will conclude shortly. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's really hard to conclude when they're yelling at me. But so, so the, so the members opposite know the entire socioeconomic analysis was done on the entire province. If every area was deferred, that we are going to be doing an individual socioeconomic analysis when areas are deferred, because that is what is critically important to communities, to workers. And to the, the, the you, industry Minister. that we are going to ensure we save. The bell ends the caution period.